Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Talking in Circles. I am Clayton Caldwell with Philip Matthew and Spencer Cowan here tonight as we break down the NASCAR All-Star Race, and also we'll talk about Indianapolis, Indianapolis 500 qualifying. Big news of the day, Fernando Alonso missing the show in Indianapolis, a big show. We'll discuss that and more tonight on Talking in Circles, 917-889-8280 here. A fun night last night in the All-Star Race. We saw a preview of the 2021 package. Spencer, I know you were there, so we'll get your take on this first here. Um, You know, Kyle Larson was the winner. The Opens, we saw, for whatever reason, and I don't know if it's just that that we have so – there are only 20-lap segments, but the Open always seems to be really good, really ever since they they decided that if you win a segment, you're in the race. Uh, Last night we saw an epic battle between William Byron and Bubba Wallace. For stage one, Bubba Wallace won stage two, and then a, a good battle there for Kyle Larson to win stage three. Larson became the first driver ever to win the Open and then win the uh, the actual all-star race in NASCAR history. If you remember, a couple of guys have transferred through. Casey Kane, most recently, he in 2009, I believe it was, he was the fan vote winner and then won the all-star race. He also had uh, Michael Waltrip in 1996. He finished fifth that day. Uh, and went on to win the All-Star Race in 1996. There's a couple more drivers who won stages earlier and then went on to win the All-Star Race, but Larson's the first driver to actually get registered, quote-unquote, as a win in the All-Star Race, in the Open, to win the All-Star Race. Uh, I thought at times it was great. You know, it was nice to see uh, the 43 car, an iconic driver, or an iconic team, and an iconic number, to go out there and really compete the way they did. Um, and I heard a lot of rumblings that it could have been an RCR car yesterday, that that's probably why uh, it was it was a such a good run for Bubba Wallace. But still, Spencer, what were your overall thoughts on the all-star race here uh, in Charlotte Motor Speedway on Saturday night? Yeah, yeah. Uh, there were some up and downs about the package. Um but no, I, the only downside I have about the package is I just feel like once the leader was out front, it was so hard for him to pass. Um, so I think uh, since it was a short race, obviously track position was key. Um, and like I said, out being out front, you know, Kyle Busch couldn't pass Harvick. Harvick couldn't pass Larson once they were out front. And if they did pass, it took a little bit. But um, yeah, like you said, the open was very exciting uh, each stage. And then... Um, my boy pulls it off in the uh, in the big show, and um, you know I don't think he had the best car. Um, I honestly was about I don't know four to go. I was like, oh, Harvick's probably going to get this thing, but yeah, you just you just could not pass once you were out front. Um, they would get big runs, and I would watch them come off too. They'd get big runs down the back straightaway, and all you'd have to do is make sure one goes high and one goes low, and they weren't getting passed. So. Um, yeah, it was a fun race. It's the first time I've ever been to it. It's uh, very exciting. The atmosphere is uh, pretty cool. So, uh, overall, I enjoyed it. And uh, the package is just really – you want to be out front. That's just where you want to be. You want to be really in the top three or four um, from my perspective of being on the race. So, um, other than that, that's about it. Yeah, and that's the one thing I've always had a gripe about. And I've been told, and people are right about this in a way – you're never gonna you're never gonna completely eliminate clean air. I always say, well, I agree. While I agree with that, you know, I kind of want to see where if the leader doesn't get out front. I mean, 
you know, we saw in stage one of the even the open, Daniel Hemrick had a huge lead before uh, BJ McLeod blew. I mean, had an unbelievable blown engine that that created so much smoke you couldn't even see the racetrack at one point. Um, and that really is what helped the ending of stage one because a lot of it, it created a lot of strategy. Drivers came in and pitted, and other drivers stayed out on the track, and uh, it created a lot of strategy. So I felt, and, and same thing with stage two, we had an accident between. Um, Ryan Priest and Daniel Hemrick at the end of stage two, that really helped stage two. So it got the night off to a good start because we saw more restarts and restarts. This package is really good with restarts because you can ride somebody. You can go four wide. We saw drivers getting four wide in the trial at Charlotte Motor Speedway, which is something you'd hardly ever see if ever. Um, So that I think really helped get the night off to a good start with this package. But I do agree. I think um, once you got out in the clean air, it was tough, and, and Philip, I know we discussed a little bit off air, and I want to get your take on this. You felt like the package was really good. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, but you just wish we had a little bit more tire fall off than what we saw here at Charlotte Motor Speedway. Again, it was only I think the longest segment we have was 30 laps, so it was only 30 laps. But um, what did you think overall of the package at Charlotte Motor Speedway on Saturday night? Yeah, I have to take of what you guys, both you and Spencer, have said. You know the getting out front, whether it was Hamrick in segment one of the open or, you know, Harvick or Kyle Busch even, when they got out front, they were gone. Uh, That was for sure, but that's been the case, I think, for a long time. Uh, The more they've engineered these cars out, the more that it's been obvious that way. I definitely do believe, like we talked about this offline, that until – the tire manufacturer decides to make a tire that can actually fall off without blowing out, which they don't seem to be able to figure out and they never have, which is the reason why they only supply uh, NASCAR because they used to supply multiple forms of racing and they sucked all of these other forms of racing. So then other tire manufacturers who could make a better product replaced them. And then the France family, of course, gave them a sweetheart deal. So they're still here. Uh, I mean, the reality is at a place like Charlotte where you know these cars generally are not going to break, you know, which is going to be interesting about next week's race. You know that they're all basically going, you know, a few tenths, but there's only a a couple of tenths between first and 20th. Uh, You know, the back end cars are not that, you know, that's where you're going to see a difference because obviously there's a a haves and have nots. I uh, to take all that away. The reality was, I actually was intrigued. It was actually interesting. I the open was definitely the most interesting, exciting open I've seen in years. Uh, and that for that, that's a positive. When you're considering that isn't the top line drivers, for the exception of maybe Larson, Bowman, you know, maybe a couple others, there wasn't really any top line drivers in that field and you know they they put on a pretty good show which if this race if the 600 was actually in the day would have actually possibly been you know productive it might have actually provide a better race next week which they're saying basically the package they had yesterday and the package that they're running the 550 package isn't all that far off they're not they're pretty similar um so i mean Give credit to Larson when he needed to make a restart. He made that big restart. 
got around Harvick and all of them. You get stalled out because of traffic, which has been the problem all year with the with the 550 rules package. You really can't get around people after a couple of laps, or if you get stuck behind something, you can't really go anywhere. Paul Menard paid for that in the open. Uh, I mean, it's we're seeing the trends now. So now we have the book. We have different results. We have we've been able to see what continues to happen. So now how in the second, third of the season will these big teams respond to some of these issues in terms of restarts, in terms of things? That's where we kind of have to look. I mean, for Larson to go and win an all-star race and stuff for that organization, it's a big deal. They had a pretty rough weekend uh, in general, uh, Chip Ganassi racing. So the fact that they were able to come through back in with that last segment win and, get in from tailback and go and win the all-star race is a big deal for them. Yeah, it was. And, and we'll, we'll certainly, that's where I definitely want to go here with you, Spencer is, you know, it's an all-star race. It's an expedition race. There's no points. Um, and, and it was a completely different package than what we're well, not completely. I shouldn't say completely, but it's a different package than what we're going to see in the 600 on Sunday. Um, but, that being said, we've, we've documented on this show numerous times uh, about Kyle Larson's struggles. He's had a really tough year. He got off to a decent start, but then he, he's really tailed down. But he ran really good at Dover, and the Chevrolets ran really good at Dover. Um, is this a, a, a sign, do you think, that maybe the Chevrolet teams and maybe the 42 team has closed the gap on Stuart Haas Racing or has closed the gap on – uh, Joe Gibbs racing. What are your thoughts on, on on last night's? Is it just is it just a you know an outlier, or is it is this a sign of things to come for Chevrolet and for maybe even that forty two team? I mean, with me being a Larson fan, I'm going to tell the truth. Um, like you said, it's a totally different package. Um, I'm not going to sit here and say, oh yeah, he's you know Chip Ganassi, they're the best team out there right now because he won the All Star race. That team still has a lot of work to do. Um, uh, you know, Kurt Busch ran good all through the year. Um, but yeah, this is a big momentum booster, but, um, in the last couple of weeks, he's been running good, but the whole beginning of the year, he struggled. So, I mean, the only really thing that can help him is motivation because next week, you know, it's going to be totally different. And, um, so I don't know. Uh, it's definitely, like I said, momentum, um, you know, the team's happy. They're all fired up, but, I feel like before the all-star race, the weeks that he has had, um, you know, the top uh, continuing to run good, um, I guess after Talladega when he flipped, um, has helped him. Um, and now he's back into the playoff look, which is good because he was out of it after Talladega. And, um, but other than that, I would like to think it'd be um, a good sign in the right direction. You know, Kurt's still running good. And so, I don't know. It's hard to say. It really is with this being a whole different package. What's to say he's going to go out and win, you know, uh, next week? Honestly, I think it's going to be a Kyle Busch show. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. We'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, it, it was an interesting night because we saw Chevrolet perform, and, and Philip on the Stuart Haas racing side of things, we saw another one that sort of got away for Kemp, from Kevin Harvick. Uh, Amarola really didn't show his, his – much show us much in in the open, and then of course we got the Clint Boyer situation 
which we'll get to as well. But I'll say this, you know, Suarez was a guy too, Philip, who I thought had a real good chance of advancing into the op- into the All Star race from the open. And there were times where he showed some speed. I think he might have led for a little bit, but at the end he didn't. He wasn't able to advance. Um, what did you think of Stuart Haas Racing's night overall? And and you know, and then we'll get to the Clint Boyer Ryan Newman situation, which I know we're all itching to talk about. Yeah, I mean Boyer was really all happy and doing all that. He was celebrating. He's like, oh, I'm going to go out there and win this All Star race, and he dropped like a rock. And then he ended up getting into it with no neck, and now. NASCAR is going to be able to promote the two of them, the freaking big green blob, and then Boyer with the helmet on fighting. I mean, that's just great. Uh, you know, like that's what's going to – more people are going to remember that than the actual all-star race because that's what they promote at NASCAR, which is just super. Uh, the reality was that car was never really there, and that was pretty sad when you start on pole. You did all that work, great pit work by the 14 group. And then you never were there the whole entire night. The 10 car wasn't really a factor. Generally for Eric Almirola, he's not really built uh, for these short type of races. It, it, it's You could look back at his time in Xfinity and even in trucks to a point where other than the one year when he was with Billy Blue, he wasn't really as good in the shorter races. He's better in the longer races. They Him and Johnny Klausmeyer, they do things like the 600 will be a better uh, way of looking at where they are. Uh, Harvick and that pit crew and them giving away races has been going on since 2014. And it's, it's unbelievable to me that he's been there that long. And I don't know how many races that that four crew and that in general, I mean, he screwed up a bunch too. He won't admit it, but he has at times. And, you know, Childers has had an off, dime here and there, but not few and far between. But that pit crew has been a nightmare uh, in general. They've made changes over the years also. And they figure out a way at least a couple times a year at a minimum to give races away. And at this point now we've been talking about him every week. Oh, is there something wrong with Harvey? Is there something wrong with Stuart Haas? Like he was PO'd yesterday and he had a reason to be. One, he was driving one of the ugliest cars known to man and he had to wear a pink uniform. But then, too, when you actually have a car to win any race and you basically give it away, it's it's not a good feeling. I mean, Larson can tell tell him about, you know, his pit crew giving away races, which they've done a lot. So, I mean, I guess the kind of work comes around, goes around. For Larson, he's lost so many races because of the pit crew, and yesterday he benefited from that. But it's for Suarez, too, I mean, yeah, he, doored, he was dooring. Bubba, and if he had held on, who knows? If he turned right, he went Kyle Petty on him. Who knows? Maybe he'd have turned Bubba into the fence, and he might have gotten in the all-star race. But the Stuart Oscars, I mean, outside of Harvick, really um, giving it away, they didn't have a great night. Uh, but considering these last two weeks uh, for Harvick, the way he was dominant at Kansas, and then this race, I do believe that him and the 18 are going to decide, and the 19, basically, which is the big three. Here we go. It's the one-third of the way through the season. The big three are all lurking. Uh, they're going to be the, They're going to be the three to beat as we keep on going through the second third of the season. Yeah, I, I tell you, I think um, – 
Keselowski had a decent day yesterday, too, at times. He had some speed in his car. And that's a team I wouldn't sleep on, as you said, the big three. The, the two or the 22 I wouldn't sleep on. The 12 to me, they just had a real miserable night again last night. They just haven't really figured it out. I think even uh, Blaney bounced off the wall at one point. So uh, another tough night for them over there at, at the 12 car in Team Penske and, and the, uh, the fourth Penske car that I like to consider a fourth Penske car. And I'm sorry, Spencer, if you get offended by this. But as a Wood Brothers car, and Menard had a real tough night in the open. Uh, early on, he got into the wall. I think lap three was never really able to find the uh, track position he needed to get up there. And I know it was such a weird race because nobody really knew what to expect. Uh, and I think it sort of threw drivers at, at times for a loop. You know, we saw the 21 finish, I think, like fourth in a, in a, in an, in a segment in the open. Then he also finished like 15th. Um, so it was kind of – you know, it felt like you were sort of on the edge there, uh, so close. But uh, speaking of the Open, there was one guy who I was really particularly impressed with, really one team I was really particularly impressed with, and that's the 43 car. I mean, it, it, you know, you can say what you want. He did stay out and get track position, but he outran a couple of cars in, in Stage 2 to go out there and transfer to that race. I mean, um, this is a team who's had, let's be honest, they've had a really tough first year together, first second full year together, I should say, um, with Bubba Wallace and, and Richard Petty Motorsports. The sponsorship on that team has been minimal at best, and there's been a lot of rumors about the future of that team, Merstein pulling out. He denied that this week, um, but there are some changes coming to Richard Petty Motorsports. Not sure exactly what they are, but there's definitely some changes, at least for, if, if you believe you know, rumors from good sources. There's some changes probably this week or into next week about what's going on with that team, but um, Bubba came out last week and, and had a little bit of a of – a, you know, uh, he opened up to the to the media, to the fans about what he was going through personally, and for him to go out there and and uh, and win stage two, Philip, that was a huge, huge deal for him in that forty three car. Yeah, I mean, I'm I've been a, a Bubba, you know, supporter going back to his K and N days, and I've seen him at his best you know when he was driving for Kyle Busch in the trucks I've seen him at times in Xfinity and in, even in you know for faint moments in a cup car I saw his debut at Pocono and when but when Blaney won his first race and I mean there the reality is where it's gone his career has been a it's been like a, a seesaw going up and down and all this and this last couple of weeks, you know, breaking up with his girlfriend, sponsorship issues, his team might shut down. I mean, we don't know if they're going to make it to Pocono. Uh, it's it's sad, honestly, uh, to see a big team, or, or not a big team, but a team that has an icon. There's iconic numbers, a history behind it, all the, the way that it's going down. I mean, we've seen Bud Moore, we've seen Junior Johnson, other people like that have gone away. The Woods went down to the absolute bottom and had to get built back up to where they are now uh, nearly a decade or so ago. Uh, so Petty's have been basically going down, or Richard Petty's been going down this line basically since, you know, about 2000. Once the Adam, when Adam passed away, it started this, this trend downward. And uh, for them to go and for Bubba to show what he can do when he has a piece uh that was exciting uh that was an amazing job by him 
and it's something that he has shown before. Uh, people conveniently like to forget that, but he, he has shown that kind of uh, talent and driving ability before, and it shows that if they actually have halfway decent piece of machinery, they can actually compete. You know, and and what's proof positive of that is he finished fifth last night. You know, he was it, it wasn't just oh he won the second segment and he just made up the numbers. You know, like D Burrito would have done if he had gotten in with the fan vote. And he was part of the reason why Paul Menard didn't had a bad night because he just kept on blocking him. And if Menard had anything in him, he should have just put him in the fence. But uh, Bubba worked his way up methodically. They had so much damage on that race car, and he he finished fifth. And it's a big deal for that team. It's a momentum builder, whatever. You want to take whatever you want to take, it's fine. The the thing is this. He, he, he earned his way in. He had to run, race his way in. He almost got into the first segment and, and just got beat by a nose by Will Byron. But then in that second segment, goes and wins. And then the motion he had with Blaney and all this stuff, it, it's real. And there aren't that many personalities. There aren't that many people out there in the sport that have a real personality. He's one of them. And uh, there's people coming out, how does this guy not have a sponsor? I'm like, I can explain a few reasons why he doesn't have a sponsor, sadly. Uh, but last night showed that if you give him something to work with, he can make something happen. So it was a great night for them and for Mr. The King and that whole group, his new crew chief. He was really excited to show the video of him. He was really excited, too. So it was a really good morale boost for them. Yeah, Derek Stamens, uh, the crew chief, the new crew chief for that 43 car, was thrilled that um, he was able to transfer into the All-Star Race, as you mentioned. 917-889-8280, Talking Circles tonight. Clayton Culliver, Philip Matthew, Spencer Cowan here. We're talking about the NASCAR All-Star Race, NASCAR All-Star Weekend, we should say. And then we'll touch on Indianapolis 500 qualifying and a little bit later on in the show. For, so stay tuned for that if you're interested in our top, our takes on that here on Talking Circles tonight. But uh, something I want to talk about, Spencer, since you were there at the at the racetrack, um, what did you think of the of the incident between uh, or, excuse me between Clint Boyer and Ryan Newman? Um, you know, you hear two stories from two different people between Boyer and Newman, and I always say you know there's three sides of every story: his side, her side, and the truth. Uh, so somewhere in the middle there, there's going to be the truth, and I'm not interested in hearing um, about what exactly happened, but I'm just curious on to uh, get your take at the racetrack, what what the um, what the atmosphere was at the racetrack with that whole thing. Were people excited? Because, you know, I, I know with racing, it's a very intense sport, and we used to see, you know, people go after each other all, all the time. And uh, it's not as common nowadays because of the um, sponsorship deals we have. And uh, I, I think also that we all have multi-car teams, so we don't see as many drivers going after each other. But what did you think of that? What was the atmosphere like at the racetrack? Were people generally excited? Were they screaming and yelling? Or it could have very possibly be that people were appalled, you know, because they don't like to see fights. What was the, uh, what was the atmosphere at Charlotte Motor Speedway? Um, after the incident between Boyer and Newman? Well, I think a lot of people was all hyped up for Larson. You know, that was a big win for him. The crowd was going crazy with that. But, uh, yeah, everybody started going, whoa, and all that making noise when they saw the uh, fiasco on pit road. And uh, quite honestly, if you don't want to see fights in uh, NASCAR, well, they're going to happen. So um, that's just how it is. You know, they just get – 
all caught up in the moment. You get heated. You say stuff. You go crazy. Clint Boyer crazy. And uh, all I know is they got an autograph session on Friday together, so they better get it situated so they're not pissed off at each other. But, yeah, the crowd, you know, they're yelling. They're cheering. You know, you know, I'm not trying to downgrade NASCAR or nothing, but let's face it. There's a lot of, you know, rednecks that go to NASCAR, and everybody knows that. And, uh, you know, they start cheering, you know, there's been a couple beers in them, but uh, yeah, the the crowd was kind of loud when it happened, but uh, the crowd was also loud for Larson too. So um, yeah, I mean, if you don't want to see fights in NASCAR and you don't like that, well, you get used to it because it's going to happen. So yeah, um, it was a little bit of change yeah. going on for it. I don't know if they were going for Newman or Clint, but um, I like Clint. I think he's funny, but he's going to let you know if uh, he's got a problem with you. And uh, just to touch on this a little bit, Newman, he has to have more respect for um, people. You know, he was a lap down. And he's, I, in my opinion, I'm not speaking for you guys, he's got to stop doing that. If you're a lap down with several laps to go, whatever it was, you got to let him go. But in his mind, he's thinking, you know, if a caution comes out, I could get my lap back and, you know, finish on the lead lap. But, um, you know, you can be on that side or just say it's a racing side. But, yeah, crowd was yelling, that's for sure. Yeah, and Newman had said at one point that they really struggled with that uh, with his Ford all night long, and I know he went through the they I want to say the grass, but the astroturf. He went through the astroturf from the front straightaway. Uh, I believe it was in segment one or stage two or something, whatever you want to call it, whatever you call these stages or segments now. Um, but yeah, he he didn't have a great night there in that six car for Roush Fenway. You know, um, a tough day, tough day for them. Tough day for Ryan Newman, and again, I you know I think anybody everybody's got you, know, you can look at that five different ways if, if you're a fan between Boyer and Newman. But I was just curious, you know, there's I, I see the point for for uh, for sure about fighting and people getting excited about it because when you look back at the 1979 Daytona 500 and the fight between Kale Yarbrough and Bobby Allison, um, that's what made our sport. People thought that was awesome when that happened. But then again, you know, I'm not a fan of of when it's uh, what I feel like when it's manufactured, and I'm not, I think last night was actually one of the one of the uh, you know true moments where we actually saw a driver who was really heated afterwards. I don't think it was manufactured at all, um, but there have been times in the past where I felt like it was a little bit manufactured. I remember when when uh, I was Boyer and Jeff Gordon had their little ordeal at Phoenix, and Boyer went running through the infield, and it, I felt like I was watching WWE. It was awful, um, but I didn't care for that too much, and I'm not saying we should go, you know, fight people all the time. But it's an emotional sport, uh, and it's raw emotion. I, I think it's never a bad thing to see, show raw emotion. So um, that, that's my take on that. Um, one thing I want to talk about on the package here for 2021, and I want to give the call to Matt Dillner, who actually said this on Twitter. Uh, he works for Dale Jr. in his Dale Jr.'s podcast, so I got to give him the credit for this. And this is where I completely agree with him. You know, as slow, as much slower as we slow these cars down here, as much as we slow these cars down, if I can speak right, um, you know, we still have an issue here, Philip, with these with these cars, with how they're the the rear corner panel shaped. Where if we make contact with somebody's rear corner panel, it almost it cuts a tire almost instantly. Um, or you know, we always have that. Oh, they're going to have a tire rub. When you just simply make you rub on somebody, and all of a sudden it's a tire smoke and stuff like that. Uh, I would love to see a a car or or that when we get to 2021. I would love to see that to where 
we can and I'm not saying you can you know, when we hit the wall it doesn't do any damage, but when we can lean on each other, you know, and it doesn't totally ruin somebody's day or totally ruin ruin somebody's uh aerodynamics to where they're done for the day. Um I think that would be a a, a great deal. Um what 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 are your thoughts on that? Is there a way we can do that? Uh what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean it's something that the engineers of course or people the car the teams have to figure out with i mean whether it's a little touch whether it's you know you go and try to knock the wall i mean if you knock the wall down of course you're going to have a problem but if you kind of glance you do a glancing blow like you go and kind of rub like a stripe a darlington stripe kind of thing you know then you're going to ruin your whole entire day it's it I would say that making the fenders, getting the fenders flared out more, or you have to cut the fenders out around the wheel well, make a bigger space, which, of course, they'll be like, oh, it's going to mess with arrow. I'm like, well, that's what it should. It shouldn't be about arrow. It should be about drivability. Um, but that's a, beside the point. I think they basically had flat sides when they had the Gen 5 COT car. I think they were flat-sided cars. And, I mean, even then, you were able to kind of run into the fence a little bit, and you're still able to kind of go. Uh, there are people who brought, ran the whole right side off of a car, and we're still able to make something happen. Outside of something like that, you know, like basically squaring up the sides and flaring out the fenders, maybe cutting out a bigger hole uh, around the wheel well, I don't know what would be uh, a solution. I mean, I already made my point about tires, and I'll continue to make my point because I don't care for the company that makes the tires for NASCAR. Uh, they could make a better side, a, a tougher sidewall, which would be a larger sidewall, like a, a higher, like a lower profile and a bigger rim which would be something that will work in the year 2019 since they have like 13 or 15 inch rims, which are like, when was that, you know, relevant? When's the last time that that was like a relevant rim size 20 years ago, you know, like that would be a logical concept. I mean, even formula one, IndyCar is probably going to move that way. Formula one is moving that way in a couple of years with a, a higher profile, low or low profile, bigger rim. So, that would be another way to go and fix it. But, you know, I'm not expecting them to go and spend that kind of money to go and make a product that's better because they haven't made a good product for so long. It doesn't really matter. Yeah, no doubt. I understand what you're saying. And it's just going to be interesting. You know, I just wish, again, you and I grew up in an era where we could lean on each other. We always saw people, you know, rubbing against each other. And it didn't matter what kind of racetrack it was, whether it was a short track or, or a – big track and you know, we saw it everywhere um and nowadays every it seems like if you touch somebody uh it it ruins their day and, and that's unfortunate to see um and I, I wish i wish we could sort of get back to where if you lean on somebody it would totally ruin their day and, and hopefully maybe that's some feedback that uh the teams and the drivers will give because that would be really awesome if um if we totally you know if we have that here in nascar here in um in 2021 when this package is, is coming. Uh, final thoughts, Spencer, on, on your night at, at uh, the All-Star Race, something we might have missed. You know, I know you were there, and, and the atmosphere was, was, I'm sure, 
huge. Uh, what are your final thoughts on 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 Charlotte and the All Star race? Oh uh, yeah, um, really. I think we touched on all of it, but <clears throat> I think if you're a person that loves to go to uh, different races and you haven't been, I would uh, def- I would highly advise you to come to a 600 weekend and the All Star weekend. Um, like I said, the All Star weekend was hyped. Uh, a lot of the atmosphere was crazy, um, and I'm sure the 600 is going to be um, just as big. So I know how you were saying this is a bucket list. Uh, I would highly advise you and Lisa to take a trip and go to it and that goes to anybody but we've touched on everything and uh you know it was a pretty cool night um you know I go to uh a race in a different town and what do you know my driver wins so it's pretty cool but yeah I advise uh anybody to come up to Charlotte if you haven't and enjoy the weekend yeah, it is a bucket list. 600 is for sure because uh you know it's just it's NASCAR's longest race and I always kind of wanted to be you know I've been to uh, Darlington, I've been to Daytona, you know, I haven't been to Indianapolis yet, but I would love to get to uh, Charlotte for a race there for 600 miles. 917-889-8280, Talking Circles. Again, Clayton Cotto, Philip Matthew here tonight on Talking Circles. We just previewed the all-star race from uh, Charlotte Motor Speedway, and now we'll dive into really the, the big news of the day from Indianapolis Motor Speedway for the Indianapolis 500. The starting lineup is set for the Indianapolis 500. It will run on uh, May 26th, of course, if you're not familiar with it. Um, rows 4 through 10 were established on on Saturday. So they had the top nine run for the poll today. The top nine from Saturday run for the poll today um, in the first nine positions. And then the bottom six compete for three spots. Uh, and that's where the real drama came in today from Indianapolis uh, was the final three spots. Uh, for a second, you know, I, I think a, a Le- Fernando Alonso went out second there uh, in qualifying, and for a little bit it looked like he was going to be able to um, make the field. But he got knocked off there by Kyle Kaiser at the end on the final car to go. Kaiser was able to muster enough speed and knock off Fernando Alonso, the F1 champion, uh, to make the Indianapolis 500. Alonso goes home. Um, shocking story here, Philip. And, and again, you know, my uh, knowledge is is not nearly as strong as my NASCAR knowledge, but I know Alonzo wrecked in practice and, and tore up his primary car. They went to a backup, and there's a lot to dissect here with Fernando Alonso. But my first question is, is this a product of, of somebody who simply was with a team that was doing a one-off run here in Indianapolis where maybe they, if, if they were a full-time team or a team that – that were running for points, they might have had a better backup car, and he could make the field easily. Um, what kind of car was his backup, and, and how how is, was it possible that Alonzo, who's, who's everybody considers one of the greatest drivers in the world, and here he is missing the Indianapolis 500? What were your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, NBC is not very happy right now because they've been pushing this uh, Fernando Alonzo narrative for uh, weeks, months, uh, when they announced this deal, they were under the pretense that, oh, yeah, you know, Fernando Alonso is going to make the Indianapolis 500. And in the last, you know, basically think about in the last 20, 20 or so years, there's only only three people that can say they really beat Michael Schumacher, you know, heads up. Uh, you know, for for a world championship or a couple, uh, 
that I, I can really say, and, and Alonzo is one of them. And when you can, when people talk about Michael Schumacher and his greatness, one of the greatest of all time, uh, Alonzo's there. You know, he's he's a, a legendary figure in Formula One. He made car racing in Spain, you know, worthwhile. Outside of him, Carlos Sainz uh, in rallying. But other than that, there really isn't any major person in Spain for car racing. They're more about motorcycles. And Alonso came to Indy a couple of years ago, did great with Andretti. Uh, Honda had a better engine uh, in general. He might have won both the pole and the race. Uh, this year, McLaren went with Carlin Racing, and uh, they didn't hook up with Penske. They didn't hook up with with Ed Carpenter. The reality is when you look at the results of qualifying, the Chevy teams are haves and have-nots. The Penske team, of course, is the big one. They'll always be the big one, you know, even after, you know, the most dramatic qualifying until today possibly was 95. You know, they ended up getting the pole, and uh, they're the big Chevy team, you know. And then after that, Ed Carpenter racing. Ed Carpenter's an Indiana boy. His stepfather runs the racetrack. You know, the family history, the family business, all this stuff. He puts all his emphasis on winning this race. He wants to win this race. It would make his life. It would be everything for him. And his cars are obviously the fastest cars other than Pagano. And after that, the Chevy teams are, are much lower tier. They're not really good. The Carlin team is not is a full-time team, but they don't have the biggest finances. They're great. They're in, in lower formulas of racing. They're in their second year here in America running IndyCar. And Charlie Kimball was able to make the show solid. But in the end, there's three cars that went home, and all of them had some sort of affiliation with Carlin. Uh, Max Chilton, who's a regular driver for that team, he's going home. Patricio Award, the defending Indy Lights champion, Red recent Red Bull junior driver signing, um, he's going home uh, after wrecking. Of uh, the six cars that qual- that had to go into that last row shootout, four of the six crashed. Um, and uh, only Max Chilton... Uh, Max Chilton was one of the two that didn't crash, but he just did not have any pace. And, you know, the, and Patricio Ward crashed, Fernando Alonso crashed, Hinch ended up crashing, Sage Karam glanced the wall. So in, in, in reality, five of the six cars had issues. Um, a long story short with McLaren and this whole relationship and with Alonso when he's disconnected himself from McLaren, in a sense, he's done all right for himself because he won uh, the World Endurance Championship for Toyota. He also uh, has won the Rolex uh, this year with uh, Wayne Taylor Racing. But the stuff that he's done with McLaren and his return to McLaren has not turned out very well. And it's pretty embarrassing for their organization with the amount of effort that they said they put in and the amount of energy that was in there, that they got beat by, uh, by teams that don't have anywhere near the funding, the Junkos racing team with Kyle Kaiser pulling one out of his butt to go and put it on, put it in the field, you know, dragon speed racing, getting in there. 
we were talking about Clarkson Marshall racing, which had an affiliation with AJ Foyt with Pippa Man. That's another team. You know, like those are three really small indie efforts. Sage Karam, after losing all his confidence earlier in the week with Dry and Reinbold, it's an indie only effort, gets in and runs the fastest speed of the day. It's big, and it's a big problem for NBC in terms of how they wanted to promote this race. But for Fernando, he basically resigned himself yesterday uh, when they didn't have the pace to make it to lock themselves in. It kind of was set up where he was going to end up missing this race, and they did. And it's really embarrassing for McLaren, uh, but when you consider that some of the greatest drivers in the or some of the greatest teams have missed this race, James Hinchcliffe one of the most popular drivers in the sport. He missed the race last year. Penske had two of the greatest drivers ever, and he missed the race in 95. Bobby Rahal's missed this race. You know, Johnny Rutherford. The list goes on and on. There's there's big people have missed this race. So now, Fernando right. Alonso missed the race. Yeah, and that was my question to you. The next question is, is Alonso the biggest name to ever miss this race? I know Alonso, I think it was Alonso Jr. in 95 missed it. You mentioned Bobby Emerson Rahal. Emerson Fittipaldi. Emerson Fittipaldi as well. Where does Alonzo stack up? I mean, is this here in 2019 when we look at it and when we look back at this 10, 15 years down the road, are we going to look back and say that was the year where we had the – I mean, it was shocking. I mean, and, and what's funny is I try and tie it into NASCAR a little bit because that's my, my first love, and and I, I can't even think of a of a driver – and I might have to go back, and it's probably happened. But a big-name driver such as this missed the Daytona 500. Now, we had Al Jr. come over from IndyCar in 93 and barely make the Daytona 500 on his qualifying time after wrecking in his duel, um, running a, a fourth car for Rick Hendrick at that point. But we really haven't seen a, a, a big-name driver. Maybe A.J. might have missed the 500 one year, but I don't think he did. Um, a... a big-name driver in NASCAR miss our biggest race. But IndyCar, and I think it's good because a lot of people were saying, oh, well, you know, Alonzo might buy himself into this field, and I hope that's not the case because it keeps the integrity of pump day of Indianapolis. I think it keeps the integrity of qualifying into this. So I hope they don't do that, but, you know, it, it puts you on the edge of your seat. But I guess my question is, is this the biggest name to miss Indianapolis? And Will Alonzo eventually be in this race? You know, when we come Wednesday and Thursday, uh, will we see Alonzo sort of in this race because he bought somebody out? That McLaren bought somebody out. That's already came out. I, I've seen at least a couple of hits where they're not. McLaren is not uh, going to buy themselves into this race. I mean, as I mentioned, Junkos, Dragon Speed, and uh, the Clawson Marshall effort are all Chevy efforts. They're all all, I mean, the Junkos effort. They're they're in they're general they're a part time team, and the Dragon Team is a part time team, but they're all Chevys. Uh, you would think those would be three opportunities. McLaren has said they aren't. In terms of how big this is for a two time Formula One World Champion, one of the great drivers of his era, uh, to miss the show. Um, there, it, to me, the level and for all the build-up and all the hype, to me, competes with 95 when Alonso Jr. is a defending Indianapolis 500 and CART champion 
along with his teammate Emerson Fittipaldi, who had the race won and was about to repeat as Indy 500 champion and become a three-time champion, they missed the show and they had no chance. Like, they were off the pace. They were bad. This literally looked like a mirror image of, you know, Penske in 95. And that's what everybody as IndyCar fans thinks of when it comes to bump day at Indianapolis. What is the moment that's the most iconic moment, really? I mean, Bobby Ray Hall in 93, after winning the championship, was bad um, as a former Indy 500 winner as well. Uh, that's another one. I mean, Johnny Rutherford, who was a three-time Indy 500 winner, by the end of his career was just like pulling strings just to get into cars, couldn't make races. Uh, you know, Tom Sneva. There's other legends, former Indy 500 winners, who late in their career was kind of like holding on. But the two that stand out are Bobby Ray Hall and then the Penske guys in 95. But this right here, I mean, especially in the world we live in with social media and the way NBC has been building up this Fernando Alonso story and Alonso himself and his quest to become a triple crown winner for it to fail as miserably as it did. And there were signs of this going on, you know, last month when they couldn't even get any testing time. They had electrical problems. They were having real problems. And then this week, they really weren't on pace. Then he goes and wrecks his car. The car he wrecked was built in England. The car they were working with was a backup car from Carlin. In the end, the connection is simple. Three cars missed the field. They all had Carlin affiliation. It's not a fault of Trevor Carlin. As an owner, he has won numerous championships, and he has a laundry list of people that have done great things in motorsport. But you can't come to Indianapolis unprepared, and you can't come to Indianapolis uh, off. And then if you miss, if you mess up or something goes wrong, you're going to be, and especially these days, you could wreck back in the day, and because they had a month, they had three weeks, whatever, you could recover. You have four days before qualifying now. And if you wreck, you're in real trouble. And outside of James Inchcliffe, who has a full-time team, and they had a full backup ready, none of them had a full backup ready, and they all paid the price, hence why they were all sitting there doing the last row Charlie and having a Hail Mary into the field. Uh, Pato Award almost did. He had a big problem on lap three, and uh, that was the reason why he got um, – knocked off he would have ended up getting knocked out anyway i think by by kyle kaiser but it would have been close to give carlin one two cars in the field but yeah i mean it's unbelievable uh that that mclaren showed up here and were that unprepared and that off far off but it's when you look at mclaren's history in recent years uh, going back to pre prior to you know about twenty once once Lewis Ham for me being a Hamilton Lewis Hamilton fan once he left that team the team started taking a drop anyway and then they made other changes other moves and over time it's kind of gone away and so you know we'll see what happens here in a week from today but it's unbelievable. The, the qualifying today was quite compelling. I missed out on the Fast 9 shootout, sadly, but that was also really compelling as well. Yeah, it ended up being uh, 
the pole position by Simon Pagano. Uh, how about on Saturday? I kind of want to focus on that here for a second. Um, you know, positions 10 through 30 were uh, were filled. Then you have Peepa Man. You already talked about her in her run for the Indianapolis 500. Ben Hanley, another driver who was able to qualify his way into the Indianapolis 500. But was there any, what's the biggest surprise to you uh, on Saturday? I mean, listen, you go through this field. There's a lot of big name drivers who are who are sort of back there, and you go, oh, man, Reinhardt Ray, 22nd. I mean, Scott Dix has never been a great qualifier, but he's 18th. Um, you know, Tony Kanaan has won this race a couple of times. He's 16th. You know, kind of in Marco Andretti, who, you know, uh, hasn't had the success that I think a lot of people expect him to have, he ended up 10th, which isn't a horrible lap for him. Um, so what was the biggest surprise to you? And maybe Alonzo even going to the to the final shootout. Same thing with Hinchcliffe. Um what was the biggest surprise for you on Saturday? I honestly want to give credit to uh, James Davison, who uh, has a hookup with the Dale Coyne effort and with the Jonathan Bird, who, for you, Clayton, you could remember when John Andretti did his double in 94. It was with Jonathan Bird and Brian Heating support. Uh, he finished 10th in the Indianapolis 500 with a Jonathan Bird and A.J. Foyt-affiliated car. In this case, James Davison, Australian driver, has been hooked up with the Bird family these last few years, and he qualified 15th and a solid 15th, and he was excited. And that was the biggest – that and Ben Hanley, after I don't know how many runs he had to make, to get him in, himself in solid with a team that has announced – or just before, the day before, that they're going to increase their IndyCar participation probably going full-time next year. Uh, That is a huge deal uh, in general for Dragon Speed and Elton Julian, a former Formula One prospect many years ago. He's made his name in sports car racing as an owner and also as a driver, and now he has Ben Hanley, and they made this show solid. Uh, another surprise was Felix Rosenquist, and that was what I was mentioning on the other side, talking about Ganassi. You know, Scott Dixon's a five-time IndyCar champion. He's qualified on the pole for this race before, and he was nowhere. Uh, he starts 18th. That row is going to be very interesting with 2013 winner Tony Kanaan. Uh, Graham Rahal uh, was the last guy to qualify on Saturday, and he qualified in the middle there in that row and then Scott Dixon that's going to be an interesting row for people are going to be making moves Felix Rosenquist the rookie for uh, Scott Dixon his teammate was on the was on the cusp he's the second slowest car in the field and that's pretty bad uh, for Chip Ganassi racing Uh, that is quite surprising especially considering some of the pace that Rosenquist has shown this year he also had an accident so probably that didn't help his cause uh but i mean to be that close to possibly having to be in the last row shootout was that's way too close for comfort for um one of the top driver one of the top rookies in this series um so i mean those are the the ones that were kind of a surprise or big big uh stories there that were nice to see or were kind of interesting to see. 
How about this? I mean, and, uh, you know, we see it in NASCAR all the time that it just seems like when you're in clean air and you start up front, you have a good chance of, of winning, uh, a much better chance of winning. Uh, how about in this race? You know, I know the rules package is, is changed over the years, but uh, over the last couple of years, I mean, let's say uh, you, you talked about Scott Dixon and, and um, uh, Felix Rosenquist there in 29th and that they were a little bit disappointing laps. I mean, is it that big of a deal that they qualified way back in the field? and Or is it something that, well, if they have a good race set up underneath them, that they can work their way up to the field no problem and everything should be all right. Um, I guess what I'm saying is how important is qualifying here at Indianapolis for this for this 500-mile race? I mean, when they had went and did the new car in 2012, uh, it, it ushered in a new era basically for Indianapolis in terms of the kind of racing they had. And when they had the aero kits, uh, for a few years there, the they basically had what was akin to, you know, slingshot, you know, Talladega, Daytona type racing in the 80s. They had a lot of lead changes. It was really exciting. People weren't happy, but it's like you made an Indianapolis 500 a little more flashy. And people have been showing up here these last few years. And then last year, the first year of this new car, or with a new universal aero kit, the racing wasn't all that compelling. This year's cars changed a little bit. It's a little better in traffic. And we'll see their practice tomorrow, weather permitting, of course, and then Friday, uh, Carburation Day, uh, which is more or less a shakedown, if anything. I think tomorrow's practice will be interesting uh, to see if the how everything is for the race. And it should be a... a the reality is for somebody like Scott Dixon, he'll figure out a way to get to the front if he has a car to, to do it. Tony Kanaan is known over time for making great starts. Alex, the, I talk about how bad the it, it was, but Alexander Rossi started on the last row and quite frankly was the best car in the field that wasn't Will Power. Uh, he was making passes all over, low, high, wherever, making a three wide, doing whatever he had to do. So if you have a car and you have the confidence, you can make moves. And uh, it's a case. That's really what it is there. Um, these cars, there's full commitment, but with a little more downforce, there is an ability to kind of lose that, that, that front end is a little more positive, which means it's likely that you can get loose um, or oversteer in IndyCar vernacular and you might lose the, the back end, which happened a lot in last year's Indianapolis 500. It's entirely possible I'll be the case again on sun, next Sunday. Um, hopefully the weather won't be boiling hot uh, like it was, and it might provide a better show. Uh, but we'll see what happens with that. I think for those guys that are back there that have a history of performing, they'll get up there if they have something. If they qualifying up front is great, but you don't have to be up front to win the race. It helps, though. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. We'll have a little bit of a preview for it, a little bit more of a preview for Indianapolis uh, as the week goes on here on Talking Circle. So stay tuned for that on our social media pages. We'll announce that here 
once they get everything sorted out on the Indianapolis 500 because there's just so much to talk about. And, you know, we'll have a little bit more detail of, of Alonzo's ordeal and what exactly happened with him to miss the field. Um, it doesn't look like he's going to buy himself into the field, which is awesome, by the way. Um, but, yeah, very interesting day from Indianapolis, very interesting two days from Indianapolis, I should say, with Simon Paginos taking the poll uh, at 229.992 miles per hour for four-lap average. So right under 230 miles an hour. It's going to be a very fast Indianapolis 500. We shall keep our eye on it here as the week goes on and as we prepare for Memorial Day weekend. It's the best weekend in all racing if you're a race fan and you don't like Memorial Day weekend. I don't know what to tell you. You know, you got uh, your, your F1 fix if you're into that. You got your IndyCar fix if you're into that. And you got the stock car racing 600 miles enough stock car racing to fill up, uh, you know, about that. Uh, and speaking about 600 miles, and I want to get Spencer's opinion on this before we sign out. Uh, Denny Hamlin made an interesting comment this week about the Indian, about the uh, Coca-Cola 600 and saying he wants to trim that race down to 300 miles. Um, and, you know, he, he doesn't understand the point of having a 600-mile race. Um, I'll say this real quick. The attrition is not nearly as what it used to be, you know, uh, five, ten, even fifteen years ago. Um, so I understand from that standpoint. But you know, what did you think of Hamlin's comments about uh, six hundred mile races? Uh, did you agree with them, or do you think it's way too long? I mean, again, we're, I'm curious to hear Philip's opinion on this as well. But I know you're a, sort of a new school fan. Do you think six hundred miles is too long? Uh, yeah, I mean, heck, I think the Daytona 500 is too long, honestly. Um, but, you know, it's history. I don't think it's going to change. Um, you know, I don't think his comments are going to change one one thing at all. Um, 600 miles is definitely a long race. Is there any point to really run uh, 600 miles? You know, I feel like um, 300, maybe 400 miles is about good um, because after that, if your car ain't right after 400 miles, well, then I don't think you have a shot to win anyway. So I don't see the need to just keep going and going and let and then if the, and then let the same guy keep leading all these laps. You know, if it's a Kyle Busch show, you know what I'm saying. So um, yeah, it can be shortened. I agree. Um, I think a lot of the races are too long, and if they shorten them, you know, it's going to be more exciting. You know, these boys know they got 600 long miles. Take it easy at first. Don't uh, don't hurt your stuff, and then. Uh, but, you know, if it's shorter, it's going to be more exciting. They're like, oh, well, well, we only have 300 miles. Let's go after it and see what we can do. So, yeah, but I don't think his comment's going to do anything. So, um, But, yeah, it could be shortened for sure. How about you, Philip? What What did you think of Hamlin's comments this week? Do you agree that maybe that we should trim down on some miles for uh, the 600-miler? What are your thoughts? No, um, the reality is we they they need to adjust other races. Of course, there's a lot of races that they there's a lot of 400 milers that they have that they could adjust to 350 or 300 be fine. There are 300 lap races that could be 250. The they've adjust they've messed with tradition so much in this sport over the past you know, 20 years, and I'll I'll say that the 600 is not the most interesting race in the world, and it hasn't been an interesting race for a long time. However, it's not really 
it's it's like the it used to be an endurance contest. It used to be you had to, you know, make your car last. And unfortunately, or fortunately, whichever way you want to look at it, these cars have basically become bulletproof. You know, unless you're getting a rent-a-rec motor like DJ McLeod had yesterday, and it blows it up to smithereens, you're not really going to have cautions. You're not really going to have major incidents and all this stuff anymore. You know, now these cars are stuck. I mean, they're not going to be that many wrecks. So, product of it being a like, I don't really give two things of Denny Hamlin and his two and his stink. I mean, the guy's an idiot. You know, like, he, he won the Daytona 500 twice. You want to go and change that to the Daytona 400? You know, like, he's won the Southern 500, too. He isn't crying about the distance there. You know, like, it's – and the point is he makes millions of dollars. He's got all these freaking – Absolutely. Uh, all, these, all these endorsements. I know you said it. And it's like, shut up. You know, I, I wish – and I'm like, I'm sure – and I said that. I think I said it on Twitter. I'm like, I'm sure Chris Bell wouldn't mind driving 600 miles in the, in the, uh, in the number 11 car next week. Uh, so, so the fact is if you want to go away, go away. It's fine. Nobody's really going to miss you. And, uh, and, and that's the thing. You know, like it's fine to change for change, and that's what it seems like NASCAR has done, and it's worked against them. Changing the 600, I mean, the point is Charlotte Motor Speedway is one of the worst uh, tracks for actual racing. That's why they had to make the Roval, because they knew that. Um, they're making positive changes, so there might be a positive, you know, outcome here a week from today in terms of the 600, I hope. But, no, don't change the freaking 600. There's plenty of races they could change yeah. around, change distances. They could cut races out of the schedule. Don't change the 600. Yeah, I agree to an extent. I do. Um, you know, I I wouldn't have mind if he came out and he said, "Listen, 600 miles for our fans is a lot to take." Um, you know, it, it's not. It's kind of outdated. 600 miles. You know, we don't blow engines anymore. We don't really need attrition anymore. And I think there's rules that NASCAR could put in that would uh, that or can change that would make the 600 relevant again. 600 miles relevant again, but. My biggest problem was it was just it seemed like a little bit more complaining out of Denny Hamlin as far as working is concerned. This is a guy who wants every wants a two day weekend every weekend, and uh, that's fine and all. But you know, and I'm not trying to, to say that these guys don't work hard because they do. But you know, ten years ago we used to test like crazy. You know, I remember Bill Elliott one time when he won the Indianapolis race, uh, Brickyard 400. He said, you know, we, we ran here two days, and we ran here over 1,000 miles of testing on Wednesday and Thursday a couple of weeks ago before we really built this car. And you think about that, and you go, holy crow, you know, that's a lot of time they spent out there at Indianapolis testing, and that's stuff they don't do anymore. That was on top of a 36-race schedule, and you never heard Bill Elliott complain saying these races are too long, these weekends are too long, and he was 47 years old at that point, so or close, close to it. So – um, you know, I just have a, a little bit of a of, of a thing. If the fans are complaining about 600 miles and NASCAR wants to consider that, that's one thing. But you know, I, I have a hard time. I have a hard time feeling sympathetic for millionaires getting paid a lot of money to to drive a race car. And and you know, there's a lot other worse things that you could be doing in in your life than that. And I, I just I you know, they they get on fans for being negative all the time, saying, well, the negativity doesn't sell. Well, here you are being negative, destroying the 600 miles. As Charlotte, so hey, you know what? Um, the fans can't be negative, even though they pay for the product to see it. 
but the drivers can even though they make millions of dollars. To me, it's just it's outrageous. But again, you know, if he came out and he said, "Listen, I don't think the fan, I don't think it's right for our fans to do it," I'd be I'd be like, okay, I disagree with him, but I'd be like, I can un- understand where he's coming from. This just seemed like a driver complaining about working too much, and I I didn't care for that. Um, I want to thank everybody for listening to Talking Circle tonight. I know it's been a lot to take in because of Indianapolis and. We want to get that in here, and that's what we do every year here on Talking Circles is sort of preview the Indianapolis 500. We'll do that again this week. Again, look at our social media pages. We'll, we'll tell you uh, a day and a time for that. Also, we'll preview the Coca-Cola 600 and any news in NASCAR to come up here this week on Talking Circles. I want to thank Philip Matthews and Spencer Cowan for hanging on just a little longer tonight and talking about uh, other stuff that we're not normally used to talking about. You guys are, are champs, and I appreciate all your help for the show. And we'll see you next time here on Talking in Circles. Good night, everybody.